Good evening, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm yours, morning, my as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? Closer and closer to the EPL we come. Can't wait for it. Yeah, especially now that, you know, almost like televised dates are now set up with, with regards to, uh, you know, TV rights, and especially now with, with uh, you know, the most of these games now will have to be on not only, you know, almost like free channels, but it's easily accessible to most football fans. And I mean, it's going to be a worldwide thing. Most of these, uh, you know, TV companies also have to also make, make some sort of uh, leeway to allow, you know, people not to see, especially those that have, say, paid up subscriptions. And also, I think probably, you know, almost like with a handpick certain games for people that, say, don't have those sort of su- subscriptions and that. That will miss out on say things like Match of the Day and that with full um, highlights. Um, another thing I want to bring up was the dates for the FA Cup. I don't know if you now saw the dates, but it's quarterfinals are over the weekend of 27th, 28th of June. The semifinals will be over the weekend of 11th and 12th of July. And then the FA Cup final itself will be on August the 1st. Wow, it's it's a lot of games that's just being squeezed in. There's so much soccer we're probably going to have, but I'm surprised that they actually decided to keep the FA Cup. Yeah, I mean, my thing is still, you know, that, that question I think I posed last week to you was, you know, with, with um, Arsenal still playing, having these games now in empty stadiums, like, look at okay, the Bundesliga is now quite a few weeks now in. And as I told you, it's running quite smoothly. So now with, with the Premier League, I, I, I still think with, with us so far down the line, especially with this, um, you know, I'm sure everybody's bored about it, but this uh, corona pandemic, with, with everybody now see, every, uh, this whole thing is now, you know, gone now around that, that, that peak and almost like sharply dropping also now. I also think the, the FA, and I think, you know, various football uh, like the FAs like throughout Europe and that should also start thinking of maybe you know allowing certain um, games you know to have some sort of fans in especially you know with regards to domestically because look the problem arose also if you think of it if you think back with Liverpool in that one Champions League game where they had I don't know which team it was they played against and they were I think it was one of the could be Italian games uh, Italian team sorry where there were also that sort of uh, cases where there, there were some people that had that corona virus. Uh, so I just think to myself, if you can keep it, say, domestically, since, look, England have now, has now probably got a, a real grip on it so far, same as with Germany. So, you know, especially with domestic leagues, if they got a, a strong grip on it, and look, they are doing, you know, strenuous testing as well with regards to uh, the players and, and, and staff, etc. So I, I just think maybe... You know, a month or so down the line, you can't start bringing or faltering, you know, smaller groups in into the ground again. You mean like the fan, but like, how do you, um, how can I say, distinguish how much people come into the stadium, how many seats should be between people, etc. Like, you know, are they going to have like three no, seats but, between people and who's going to get tickets and stuff like that? I mean, look, of course, my, this is now, of course, just my, uh, my take, my opinion. But I just think, like, if, if, like, say you have a stadium, if you bring, say, even at the beginning, say 5% in of, of the fans in, in, in a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 stadium, you just bring a small portion in at a time. 
And then you see how that goes, because I'm not saying you, you must just, you know, flood everybody in one go. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying we, because we, look, we have to also ease uh, back into normality again. I mean, we can't always go on this way. So I'm just thinking, you know, like, well, my take was just, when you start, like I said, now you do it like, what I said, a 5%, 10% uh, crowd attendance. And then maybe you said the next month or month and a half down the line, then you bump it up again to 10 and, and I, I, I guess you could do something like that, but like, you know, what would the criteria be to come in? Because do season ticket holders take preference or it's the case of, you know, first come, first serve with the tickets? No, I think, look, I think it's always going to be season ticket holders. Always, I mean, whichever sport you think of, it's always primers or prime tickets are always for the season ticket holders. So I think it will probably be like that. And maybe, you know, you have a small portion that you maybe just put open or whatever sort of ticket lottery where fans could now, you know, randomly buy uh, stuff. But I'm, I'm sure if fans are also understandable to, you know, this whole situation and how things will run or run also in the future. And also another thing I want to bring up was, I mean, you can be less cautious and that, but I mean, if you look at, especially the last, say, three, four days, with, you know, there's this protest going on around the world and that we have people in mass droves all together and, that, and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself now, you are making a thing about the social distancing thing, which I fully agree. But I mean, if you're going to allow, say, you you blocking the, the fans and that for that case, but yet you're allowing for people to protest in even bigger droves, all clustered and cluttered together, then how is that making things right then? Yeah, 100%. I know I agree with you with that because, I mean, at least, you know, coming to the stadium, even if it's 5%, 10% yeah. attendance, like... You have your social distancing. You have people being screened before. Mm. So, like these protests now, it's like you know people aren't like you're saying having social distancing. Nobody knows what their temperatures are. No one's being mm. screened before they're meeting up together. I mean, something like that could could again restart actually the the virus spreading. And I mean, if people come to watch the football grounds, they probably will clean the seats. They will, you know, like I said, the social distancing will be key. So. I mean, if that is happening now and it's allowed to happen, then surely, you know, 5 to 10% of the grounds can start filling up and allowing people to watch their beloved football. Because, I mean, I, like, my take was all along, when you want to go back to normality, everything has to be done also in baby steps, the same way you had the, uh, you know, it, it was almost like a lottery amongst all the top European leagues where you were waiting to see who was going to do that first, you know, that little nudge forward. And I mean, the Bundesliga, they decided, okay, they're going to do that. After you know, following the all the, the you know that well, health lines and 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 uh, also you know following all the rules and regulations, and they, I mean they stuck to it. They they with also with the, the player testing, everything is done to a T, and everything is you know organized in in top uh, fashion. And now you can see it, it's working because I mean you're having all this, uh, especially now with as we are told you, you're having now the matches being played. You have the the five subs and it and. And it's all starting to work hand in hand. And as I said, it's all being done in baby steps. And now it's also like for me, living in Germany, it's also interesting to see how it will be. Like, well, what's the Bundesliga's next step? Because look, now they've already got a head start on all the other leagues. Spain will probably go through the same type of, you know, baby steps. Thing. Premier League will go down the same, same route. So I'm just wondering now how the Bundesliga is going to go now to, you know, the next level now. I wonder if, you know, they probably might wait it out till the end of the season because how many games are left now? I think it might also be a bit 
logistics, a lot of logistics to sort out before, um, yeah. you know, before the end of the season. Maybe a final of sort, will, or if Bayern should wrap the league up, maybe they'll allow, you know, one club as Bayern allowing their fans to come watch them lift the trophy. But obviously, also not, you know, too many fans. So I guess you can have to take it game by game and case by case because right now it might be difficult for some clubs to just to get that logistics correct of just after restarting again. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see unfold because, you know, when will be the right time to have fans? You know, there's not going to be a right time. There's not going to be a wrong time. People are always going to say it's too soon. Even if you go three months down the line, they might still say it's too soon. So, you know, I, I guess just trying to get someone taking the leap of faith yeah doing it, and everybody will probably follow suit from that club, whoever does it. But I mean, funny enough, I mean, look, at, you and I haven't discussed certain aspects of, like, you know, leading up now to today's podcast, but one point that you actually made up and that, uh, made up, uh, stated, that's actually something that Bayern were mentioning last week already, where they actually thinking of having some sort of, um, I think for some of the, the, the club members, you know, that belong to the club fan, uh, fan site, to you know, have like some sort of uh, championship party. You know, you know, of course, following whatever regulations that need, uh, you know, needs to be done. But just having some sort of group there to maybe watch them lift the trophy, even if it's outside of the ground. If they now, uh, you know, not if, because it looks like it's done and dusted. So I think they actually want to have just some fans maybe to maybe celebrate with them a bit. You know, you, you got to feel for Liverpool fans as well because of the restart of the Premier League. You're probably looking at. You know, them eventually taking the title. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after waiting so long, you know, you would have thought that they would be able to have a packed Anfield being able to witness them lift the league. And, you know, as a as a neutral, you know, obviously as an Arsenal fan, you have been gutted that, you know, it's not Arsenal or, you know, you would like Liverpool to be prolonged that. But as a neutral and actually a objective lover of football, you know, you would want to see a packed Anfield playing. You never walk alone while they're walking up to, you know, probably getting their, their title, which is well-deserved. So, I just pity that, you know, that was probably also going to, that celebration won't really be um, as a spectacle as it would have been if, you know, there wasn't Cardona around. Yeah, but I think it's also going to be bittersweet because, I mean, you're going to get some Arsenal fans or, you know, any of the other club's fans that, well, you know, as much as they're going to do that, as you say, being objective, objective and, you know, giving them a hand, but they're probably also going to be sniggering at the fact that, you know, they've done all the, you know, the hard work, the grit and that, and then you end up, you know, you win the title and there's not like people in the ground to now, you know, accept that, you know, that, that get that sort of feel for winning the league after a tough season. Yeah, and, and you must got to admit, you know, Liverpool did give probably one of the best seasons that I've ever witnessed the team put in, so you know it's it's very unfortunate. But as a, as an Arsenal fan, you have to just say okay, stick it with a smile in your face, and you know hopefully they don't win the league for another bit, and we can eventually you know win a few titles ourselves. Yeah. So back to Arsenal news. Um, in the news, I think early on in the week. Um, West Ham are actually now asking, I think, Crystal Palace and even Arsenal for a, a friendly leading up to, you know, the, the June 17 uh, restart. So, I mean, of course, that's now still open. But, I mean, 
you know, I, my personal take was something like this would have been cool if it was so the latter part of May or middle of May. Because I just think to myself, if you do this now, like a sort of friendly, I mean, I don't mind behind closed doors and you play, you know, almost like a smaller fry club, but then you, you just never know if players come in even that extra bit hard and, you know, everybody's maybe not up to scratch. I mean, I mean I'm not talking just of a, as an Arsenal fan, but I'm talking of, like, say, West Ham now, if their players are not fully up to scratch, you, who knows what sort of damage they could also do to their players. So, you know, do you take that sort of risk or... Do you still use this time now to, you know, get that players, you know, to to their peak condition? It's a bit of a tricky one. I could obviously would like your guys to be involved in matches before, you know, they they go into the real thing. Because at the end of the day, when come down the line, when was it the 17th of June, when we play Man City, you know, we, we're going to come there without any real <laughs> match practice up until, like, you know, when last did we play? Was it Feb, March? Almost so. It's going to be a real, it's a difficult one to, you know, I'm on the fence, you know, one part of me says, you know, we can wrap everyone in cotton wool till the the game against City, but you're also thinking to yourself, you know, how rusty are these guys going to be coming up against Man City? So, I mean, it would be an added advantage to get players' legs running on the big pitch. I mean, I just think Man City, or, I mean, also I think quite a few weeks ahead of them physically. So, I mean, that is where I, I don't think I have that massive, massive fear factor if it was compared to, you know, like leading up to that game when it was the original date. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like we, everybody thought Arsenal came in and they would have probably gotten slaughtered perhaps or, you know, Arteta wouldn't have been able to get the result against um, his, his mentor, you would say. Mm. But... Um, you know, maybe like I said last week as well, this could be in Arsenal's favour that, you yeah. know, everybody's a clean start and, you know, it takes two goals ahead and suddenly, you know, Man City could be gassed because City won't be able to play the high-tempo game because, let's face it, they're not going to be up to scratch just yet. You know, every time I, I think in that line and then <laughs> as much as I'm trying to be, like, you know, confident when we're going into the game, and you just think of Kevin De Bruyne, and it's like, okay, I should take a step back and, and think a bit rational about all this. Yeah, uh, that, that game was something else. You know, we started off Martinelli, had the opportunity to probably make it 1-0, and next thing you know, we're 3-0 down. So, I mean, we were, yeah, when you look at it, we were 3-0 down, basically. And I mean, I, I think if I, what I recall still of that game was, Arsenal gave as good as it got in the that first five minutes or so, but it's almost like Kevin De Bruyne was the one that actually pulled him out of that fire. That, yeah. That single-handedly thought, okay, I'm going to take this game to them. And we, it was like, as a team, we failed him. Yeah, yeah it's, I think, you know, Arsenal don't have that guy in their team just yet. I mean, Aubameyang does it from time to time, but we just don't have that player consistently that just takes a game, but the scruff of the neck and said, okay, guys, I'll win it for us now. Like, you know, the brain it does for City and sometimes Sergio Aguero as well. I mean, City may not be having the best day, but it takes two to three moments of brilliance and you're 3-0 down suddenly. So, I mean, you know, Arsenal needs to get back that yeah. again. And I mean, David Silver's the one. I mean, everybody's got their, so their eye on um, the brain, they got their eye on on Aguero, and then you just see him popping up with a late run or a darting run or a killer pass, and bang, you got you get punished again. 
Yeah, and he's very quick as well. Like not not like lightning quick, but he slips. Oh, he's like very slippery, yeah. like an eel almost. Like he just slips through, and then you know, oh, he plays that eye of the needle pass through. You never even saw it coming, and even set Sterling free, Aguero free. So it's I think it's going to be a very tricky game for Arsenal. But you know, there's no pressure on them. You know, we're not chasing anything we're just gonna go there and play our game and maybe that could count in our favor and you know Arteta probably knows the city players better than anyone and you know maybe he could tell Arsenal do this do that do this do that I know I mean I also if I if I just think of it when I think back to when the original date was for that game I felt nervous I felt tense going into it and I must tell you like going into this I think okay we now got the date we know when we're playing them I actually feel way more relaxed. I mean, maybe, of course, you're going to get that, that game stomach and that again when you come close to that date. But I just think to myself, I feel very calm about, you know, going and facing them. Because I think right now, I would actually be more fearful if we'd not just said, okay, you've got a Liverpool game coming up right now. Because, you know, they, with their mindset already in that championship for, they want to come out of the traps probably also very, very quick. And And, I mean, you know, Jurgen Klopp's soul, you know, the way he plans this thing so meticulously. So you just know they're going to be already rearing to go. So another topic I wanted to bring up was um, law earlier in this week also, Charlie Nicholas, former Arsenal player. He said something that you brought up, I mean, over the course of weeks or months, even like, since we're doing the podcast together. And he was just saying, you know, we should have really used the paper money to bring in two decent central defenders because he said he can still see the flaws in Arsenal. You know, you know, you, you bring all this extra firepower in and he said something down your lines also of, but you're still seeing that that nervousness that, that, that you know being very skitty at skittish at the back. And then almost like losing the cool so quick within you know moments even of going ahead or just trying to to uh you know to, to break a deadlock because you just know we might, might lose position high up the field, lose the ball, and bang, the goal is in the other end. So he was also saying, you know, there's certain players also that needs to be moved on because you can't also build a defense when you have, you know, these guys almost like ham, almost like making your hamstring, almost like, uh, almost like hamstringing your team, if I can put it in a word like that. Because you got like people like Sebu Staffy, who's, even though he's now showed some sort of form, he's still not to the Arsenal level of defender. Then you've got also Callum Chambers, who's, you know, as much as I want also him to, you know, to, to perform and that, when I started reading what Charlie Nicholas was mentioning of, you know, if he was this good, Arsenal wouldn't have spent almost like three to four times where they've loaned him out. You know, they would have probably said, okay, one or two loans and we're going to keep you now. So it's not like the, the club itself has always been trying to, you know, get him out of the door. So he said, might as well, you know, bite the bullet and then do that because you, you bring already Saliba in. Uh, of course, I mean, this is also going to lead to later on like a topic that I got about uh, David Lewis. And I still think also even Socrates, if an offer comes in from late team also go because I, uh, I seriously think we do need not only somebody that, that's very alert, you know, like the Pablo Marie type, but I just think we also need some a bit of more a bit more pace in central defence as well. Yeah, I, I think Arsenal... Going back to that first point of Pepe, I've been spending seventy-five million pounds on him. I mean, as he justified the price tag, and I know it's a bit early. Yeah. And next season he could, you know, come back firing. But 
you got to look at it. I mean, I can't see him. Okay, you know, <laughs> my words could come back to bite me, but I can't see him unless he's working on an, another part of his game. I can't see him that going on his left foot all the time, working unless you try to swap him, playing him on the left flank where, you know, Gareth Bale was quite devastating at Tottenham where he can get some chalk on his boots and kind of whipping crosses, but, you know, he's Okay, yeah, yeah, his crosses have been quite decent sometimes for Aubameyang to get the, on the end of, but you got to look at it like, did Arsenal overspend on Pepe where they could have rather bolstered the defence? And Pepe hasn't been that instrumental that his contribution has led to Arsenal winning more points than they possibly had. Yes, he did well against um, United, but I mean, let's, let's make it Socrates would have scored and we still win 1-0. But there hasn't been a game really, and I could be wrong, where Pepe really tore the opposition to shreds. He normally has like a good performance, but it doesn't turn into, you know, when he took on Liverpool's defence, but he never really, you know, threatened to almost score or yeah. add a goal to it. So it's like, you know, he's, he's a brilliant player to watch at times. He's tricky and getting past players, but there's a, there, his end product is not £75 million just yet. I mean... If we had to stabilize defenders, maybe we wouldn't have conceded as much goals. And, mm. you know, you win 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, and you rack up points. But, yeah, I think we overspent in that regard. And with regards to like getting Chambers out and Socrates, I do think maybe clearing up, you know, defense and start building and putting guys there that, you know, you can have for the future and maybe somebody that can be a mentor to the younger guys, to the Salibas, because... You can't look at your defense, you know. If you still leave, are you coming into Arsenal's back four? You know, who are you looking up to? Who you want to learn from in Arsenal's team right now? Yeah. I mean, nobody. You don't want to learn from any of these guys who are pulling shirts in the box or diving in for tackles, um, playing passes across goals straight to the defender, yeah. I mean, opposition strikers. Like these are not things, and and it's kind of maybe bad habits that eventually. You know, the likes of Chambers, Rob Holding picks up from their central back, central partners. I mean, imagine Holding had to have Tony Adams leading him. You, you could have probably seen a, a better defender. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think sometimes they also get lost in their own night because sometimes when you hear some of the young players, when they're talking about, you know, David Luiz, Socrates, they go, like, you know, they, they, they're real fighters and, like, you know, like bringing, like, well, it was like hard to the team again. And I think to myself, you like you as a player, you're kind of missing the point because they do that. But I mean that that sort of decision making and, and, and you know what you said like the shoving down or you know, like that were that under back passes to the goalkeeper, things get intercepted, you know, silly fouls and anything. This is and these are the guys you can trying to look up to and they're doing blunders like this. And I think, no, 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 you need almost like Either some sort of better coaching or better role model to you know base yourself upon, and another thing I have to just draw back myself, draw back to is you know with Pepe. I think my biggest criticism of him is decision making because he's got the speed, he's got that that skill to to you know to sit you on your backside or kick you know clean air, but I, I just think sometimes he hangs it too long, and you can actually watching when you watch other little bits of training that's now also starting to come out. Every time you see people running on the overlap and he will rather cut cut inside to have a pop or a, like a pass maybe, but he does not think, okay, I'm going to have to, I, I can play, you know, on the out, uh, you know, give the ball to the run on the, uh, on the outside. 
or someone play one of that, that flat killer passes at the, you know in the middle of the box in the middle of the, the box. But I mean he, he's he's too one track minded. It seems like that that sort of plays we would always talk about about amongst ourselves about when a player gets blinkered, when they just don't see what's left or right of them, they just see the goals. And I mean I can understand that as a as a uh, striker like Obama, and like he will ever pop wherever he can, and that's what I like about him. But I think it was with somebody where you need more creativity, and that that is where I think Pepe lacks. Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, definitely. It's, I don't know. Pepe just seems a bit blunt at times, and you know he comes up with a spectacular, um, but he makes the easy things look so difficult. When at you know he could just play a pass, like you said, you know. Just maybe do a look away pass of giving it to Paladin overlapping. But you gotta wonder also, you know, is Paladin maybe also struggling to get forward and back as he once did because of his injuries and maybe that's also harming Pepe as well. I think that the mindset of the team as a whole should also come about where they have to also think about, you know, you know, as much as you love attacking when I, uh, you also need you know, attacking players that are willing to help out. And I mean, from what the, there was like a little montage of, of Martinelli the other day in training. And I mean, he was helping out at the back when when Arsenal, when that, the, the, the teams were playing amongst each other. He was doing like tackles because there was one tackle he did on Eden Ketia. <laughs> so the white of the goals and thought, okay, he's going to just smash across the keeper. And by the time he wanted to pull the trigger... Martinelli came in with a perfect sliding tackle, took the ball off him, the uh, Edin Ketty was on the deck, and then he just got up and played a simple pass forward. Actually, I think our centre-backs can learn a lot from that because our centre-backs will make a spectacular tackle and try something fancy, and then it turns into something completely horrific. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see that youngsters are still, you know, putting the hard work and de- emphasising defence in their game. Yeah. So the next point I wanted to make was... Uh, Ozil, I don't know if you saw that article of Ozil and Adidas splitting. I think coming. No, in. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't uh, see that. So okay, they're going now their separate ways. You now talk of Ozil starting like his own um, marketing brand, no, not marketing brand, uh, sports brand. And I mean, my take on all this is, even though okay, you've heard now his agent say okay, he wants to see out his final season and like you know leave maybe like on a free then after next season. But my mindset is just, well, I was telling one of my Arsenal mates as well, I just think this is starting to play out as, you know, if any of the football fans out there remember, at Winston Bogarda at, at Chelsea, where he became almost like excess baggage at the club, and they just could not get rid of him, and they were paying him almost like exorbitant amounts. They even tried to, I think eventually the way it played out was, they actually had to give him some sort of uh, lump sum payoff, and then he left. Because uh, he was not worried. He was not worried. I mean, he just saw to it that he was, you know, he didn't break the rules. Like, he was always there for, for training, never pitched up late, stuff like that. So, you know, he, does, he, see, he, or he saw to it that, you know, he had no reason for them to sack him. So, other than that, he was just cashing that, uh, the, 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 the paycheck, not getting any first-team football, not even... I think he was probably getting some youth team football where they were squeezing him in there sometimes. But other than that, he was just happy because, and I thought to myself, you know, that guy now had, of course, no ambition. But now I'm thinking, does Ozil have no other, you know, desire to still play it? Maybe, or, you know, have a, have a go at one more league at the top, at the top level for what, maybe one season? 
But but do you think who would want to kind of pay Ozil that amount of wages at the currently at the moment? I mean, you know, it it seems like maybe I'm wrong. It seems like he's kind of past that best now where you would splash what we're splashing on him a week. I mean, you, a club, another club is not going to pay that unless you know he goes to China or. Yeah. You know, one of the leagues where they pay the MLS even, where they're willing probably to take Ozil. But I don't think um, Real Madrid or Barcelona, even P- maybe PSG, not Juventus, none of these clubs that can challenge for the title will be willing to probably splash it in Ozil. There's probably more up-and-coming youngsters now out there that you could buy two of instead of, you know, having to match the wages of Mesut Ozil right now. And I think Ozil knows that. And you know it's it's easy to take a pay packet at Arsenal, and most likely you'll probably be in the starting lineup every second game at least. I mean, I just think to myself, I mean, he could I mean, if you're a club taking that gamble, you can still if you, if you think of it like if, whichever league you go down, you can still probably make a lot of money with you know just him as like the name Özil because if you think if you throw that name in say the MLS, you throw it in that uh, uh, you know Chinese uh, Super League. You, you throw it in maybe one of the uh, United Arab Emirates, their leagues, or Saudi Arabia, or as you said, even uh, in France. It can almost like, even at that age, you can still be almost like a marquee signing for you. And I mean, you can market it to death with, you know, the, the, the name Ozil. Look, I think, you know, I'm thinking of the clubs and PSG, even maybe possibly Juventus could work for him because if. You just have your solid defensive runners around Ozil. You can actually, um, yes, true. You, you can actually bring maybe the best out of him with the likes of Ronaldo or Mbappe or you know, whoever yes. around that he can just spray his parts. You could be devastating, but just make sure he doesn't have to track back or you know, put in <laughs> tackles all the time. Because, I mean, I still find him a fantastic player, but I just think. That mix is just not right with Arsenal because you, look, it's, we already hamstrung in in <laughs> midfield <laughs> with people that are not not only scoring but like at times also losing their runners, losing the ball and that. So you don't really have t- like you know he doesn't have time to be that sort of wow play that that we all know he can be. But I, I just think it, almost like a, a later time, almost like wrong place, wrong time. He was at the club because I think Özil in his pomp. And, you know, if he had, say, somebody like that Vieira's around him and he had uh, three to feed or like to feed and, and Burkamp just almost like beside him or just in front of him, he would have been a devastating player for Arsenal. Yeah, he probably could have, you know, been that guy that could act up probably 30 assists even. Because, yeah. I mean, you, you look at... I was watching an old game against Arsenal. Um, I'm sure you probably recall it, that 3-1 win over Juventus and... I was just watching the game and I, I, I felt you know, a bit of tears in my eyes watching like, you know what, this Arsenal that, you know, came up against the best or one of the best Italian teams and we beat them 3-1. And I mean, you know, Henri's free kick against them and that Freddie Ljungberg, you know, get, and, and Dennis Bergkamp, my word, that, I, I don't even remember that assist. That he gets the ball and he just flicks it like that between the players to Lundberg who just thinks it over Buffon, the most expensive keeper in the world at the time. And you think, you know, where has Arsenal gone from, yeah. you know, that 
thing. So, like you said, you know, you could if Urzel had to maybe be in the side like that, you know, who knows the, the height he could have hit. Yeah, because I think that is where Madrid also bought him just the right time also when, when uh, you know, when they managed to get him from there from Germany. Because he, like, the, the sort of performance that, sounds like what set him also on the, mar- on the map because he was doing the business for Germany. He was doing the business also for Madrid. So I, I just think that was like, almost like a peak because look at, at, at uh, Madrid and for, uh, you know, for, for Germany, he always had Sammy Kadira doing the, the dirty work and that for him. You know, almost like opening that path for him. And then that's the sort of player you always needed with him in midfield. And we're always flattered to deceive with regard to signing Kadira. It was always like almost, 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 almost signing. And, you know, maybe that could have brought out the best in him or just having guys that he knows that, you know, he doesn't have to fully track back. Maybe a, a proper defensive midfielder with a proper box-to-box so that Uzel can just do his thing. But it just seems that Arsenal were always two players short from bringing the best out of Uzel and of the team for that matter. I mean... We will sign a quality attacking, but then not have a top quality striker. And, you know, always missing that one player to make that difference. Okay, so now as I come to now, you know, slowly round off the podcast. And this is now my final talking point as we now end off. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. This is now an article that was done, I think, a few weeks back. I mean, I, I spoke about it somewhat or touched on it. But now with more information now coming out, with regards to it, I think that David Ornstein, I think, also brought some of this out, and and and, and uh, that sports journalist Amy Lawrence. With regards to David Luiz, I don't know if you know know this, but it almost like exposes, you know, this whole it's, it's kind of playing like uh, playing out like a little saga. But you know, it almost like exposed how you know stupid things are being run at the club at Arsenal, you know, you know the, the backroom staff, because. The, the, for, for one season, David Luiz is going to cost, or it did now cost Arsenal, twenty-four million pounds, which included intermediary fees and add-ons, and you know what, whatever signing on fees, etc. Now, my thing is just, was this now worth it? You know, you're going big money for a short-term deal because, from what many you know people have been saying. Arsenal might not even take up that, that second-year option of that, that deal. So, I mean, I, what are, you know, what is that Salnianum doing? Because, you you know, if you just think of it, for that money, you could have been bought a top young English or a top young uh, Premier League prime defender. Or uh, uh, maybe not even just Premier League. You go, could go even outside into, like, you know, to the European leagues. You could have gotten a couple of defenders. But, I mean, you are spending so much money on a loan deal. Yeah, it's... it's that, that's, uh, I never knew that sort of full amount that was was um, coming now that that, that you, you mentioned now. But, I mean, like you said, you know, you slap on even another 25 million on that 24 we're spending on David Luiz. I mean, they, you could get you a, a top-class defender slap on the Pepe money or half it or even a court, third, three quarters of it, you have two central defenders with some spare change still to invest elsewhere. And it, it just seems like you, Arsenal are just, I don't know if it was meant to be a quick fix, a David Luiz, a Socrates, you know, a, I don't know, what thinking it with Mustafi as well, included there. Or you kind of your just defenders to get you into the Champions League, but 
it, it just seems whatever their plan was with Una Emery, it just did not work. It just backfired completely. And that's why it goes back to the saying of, you know, maybe you have to kind of, kind of you know, the youngster regime of where Wenger came in many years ago, where Arsenal were saying, like, you know, too, too, too many youngsters, too many youngsters. But, you know, maybe with Arteta getting their, changing their mentality, getting players on board who want to be at the club, bringing in players who want to be at the club and who can make a difference, you know, maybe that can work because this whole cycle with Emery bringing in experienced players it's not working. I mean, players seem to be past their prime already and we're bringing them in and, you know, we, we're we still worse off than we were a few seasons ago. So, you know, the the backroom staff, the board, the CEO needs to put their hands up now and earn, earn their money because it just seems like it's all buddy-buddy and, you know, bringing in players that, I mean, look at Cedric coming in as well. It's, I mean, like, for me, I think that what, what's kind of angered me to a degree enough, which I found ridiculous also of this whole thing was, like, you know, now that you see the numbers being spun out, I mean, you, you're bringing in a guy that's already surplus to requirements at Chelsea, a rival of ours, and you're taking this guy and you're paying sort of money that you could have been buying an actual player or actual, like, two players even if you wanted to. Yeah, or even, you know, get the top player in for salary, or even you could have, you know, maybe... Given a bombing that salary, or even Aaron Ramsey, even. I mean, uh, I, like I watch some, you know, YouTube these days when you watch Arsenal comebacks or Arsenal games. Aaron Ramsey was always there and there about either equalizing, scoring the winner, or, you know, putting his foot in to give a through ball to somebody. And I, I know we used to sometimes make fun of him, the Brazilian Welshman or the Welsh Messi or something like that. But He's actually sorely missed in this Arsenal side. And I think, for me personally, could have been given the armband for the, for the club. And I mean, you, as you said, you actually appreciate him now, even more now that he's gone, when you see, you know, what he brought. And, and you know, many... Look, he also had many... I want to say haters, but like doubters. But when you watch him and, and, and you see now what we've been missing from midfield, you see the goals that we're lacking and all that, then you can see if Aaron Ramsey was in that slots or whatever, he would have been either at the end of that... Or playing that killer ball. I mean, we could have, for me personally, you know, sold Urzel even and maybe given Aaron Ramsey that salary he was maybe looking for or slightly below it. Can you also pump some money to a Palmer Yang? And, you know, he said they're spending money on David Louise and Pepe where we could have maybe invested in the team that we currently have on these key mm-hmm. players and then, you know, buy around them maybe and strengthen where we could. Because I'm sure that, you know, 75 million would have not been near the amount to keep Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal. Give him the captain's armband as well. And he allows you to have that steel in the midfield and that attacking prowess as well that maybe Ozil misses in his game. Like, you would have a goal in him, assist in him, a counter-attack on him. But you'd also be there, you'd see, make a sliding tackle with 10 minutes, 10 seconds to go in a game to save the game. So... We do sorely much that. Yeah. And with that, we end the podcast. We hope you have a fantastic weekend. Take care, guys. Bye. Cheers, guys. Enjoy the football the weekend.